Welcome to the men's global live stream. My name is Dusty Davis and uh, my wife Nicole and I have been married for 20 years. We have four incredible kids, uh, two boys, two girls, three of which are teenagers. So please be praying for me. Uh, we live in San Clemente. We spend most of our time in the ocean or around good food or wherever people are enjoying uh, fellowship. And uh, you know, the Lord changed the trajectory of my life 20 years ago when he had me cross paths with Kenny Luck. Uh, we met uh, in, in the context of men's ministry, but since that time, Kenny has become a very close personal friend, uh, a spiritual mentor. And when he and I began dreaming about this series, uh, I was incredibly stoked. Apologies, that's a surfer word that means very excited. I'll use it probably several times throughout uh, our time together today, but I was just expectant about what it is that God wanted to do uh, in and through this series. We are launching into a new four-week series entitled Push and Pull. And in this series, we're gonna live into the, the tensions that we experience in our faith as we pursue seemingly opposite things in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus Christ where the way up is down, where greatness is found in serving, where we find our lives in giving it Away. And along the way, we're going to talk about various uh, rhythms that you and I have to live into. The rhythms of being and doing, of following and, and of leading, of staying and going. And finally, the rhythm of yes and no. Uh, we're going to begin today by looking at the rhythm of being and doing. Now, if you've got a Bible, get ready because we are going to be all around and through it. Uh, but don't worry because all of the verses that we're going to look at today can be found uh, in the notes that are found in the description. You can find uh, verses, fill-ins, information that I pray that you will use as you go back and digest what it is that God was speaking to you today and as you pass it on to the other men that God has surrounded you. So brothers, we live in a very, very confusing time. Our culture has redefined everything. We no longer live where there is objective truth, but rather each person is living out their own subjective truths. We live in a, a cancel culture that is now truly post-Christian. And it really reminds me of when Israel was living without a king, with, with no one true northing them to God's truths. It says in Judges 21-25, in those days, Israel had no king. All of the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It was a mess. Brothers, it is a mess. But I want to pause. And although this isn't where we're going to spend most of our time today, I want to give you a little bit of an encouragement, uh, kind of with that ominous backdrop. As you and I feel squeezed to, to the edges of society, as our faith in Jesus Christ is less respected, is more challenged and more unacceptable, really, than at any other point in our lives, I want us to remember this. Christianity began in the margins. It began in prisons and with public executions, and it has always been the moral minority. Now, fast forward, around 325 AD, uh, Constantine right, married the church in the state, we see the beginning of Christendom, right? And the church began to experience influence and power. The problem is the church might have, have grown stagnant, it has grown lazy. And actually what's happening right now with Christianity being pressed back to the edges, this is where we thrive. 
This is where the gospel went around the planet and toppled the eternal Roman kingdom that was thought to have never been able to end. So take heart. While it might be a challenging time, it is truly an amazing time to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, times are challenging and confusing, but exciting as God's men who desire to live for Jesus Christ in the spaces and places that he's put us. But you and I have to decide who we are and what we're about. Or to put it in another way, you and I need to settle up our identities and then what truths we are going to identify with in terms of our beliefs, our our life pursuits, our passions, what guides our behavior, what informs our actions. We have to sort out the head and the heart and how those two things play together. So those two things, our identity and how we identify, those really are two hot buttons in culture right now, aren't they? We hear them talked about all the time. We're going to start with identity. As God's men, if you and I don't answer the identity question, we will never be able to move out powerfully in our faith or be used by God to push back darkness, to build his kingdom, or to love other people the way that we're called to. Truly, everything in your life and mine hinges on seeing ourselves as we truly are. Identity informs everything. God knows this. I mean, of course God knows this, but God modeled this for you and me, even with his own son. All right, at this time, Jesus is a 30-year-old single carpenter living with his mom, sounding more like a Seinfeld character at this point, right? But as God drew him into his mission, the purpose of his life, we see this. Now, remember, this is before Jesus had ever taught anything, before he'd ever healed anybody, before he had revealed who it is that he was, before he had done anything miraculous. In Matthew chapter 3, in verse 17, God said this, and a voice from heaven, that's God the Father, said, this is my son, whom I love, and with whom I'm well pleased. Look at everything that our Father in heaven communicated in this one passage, starting with the very first thing he said, this is my son. He was speaking identity. This is the king of the universe saying, that's my boy. And guys, nothing makes a son's chest puff up or makes his back straighten up like being claimed by his father, like being spoken that deep identity of sonship. The expression, this is my son, conveyed Christ's identity, who he truly was. Now, my dad was a very mellow guy. Loved Jesus, still loves Jesus. He was a surfer. He was a drug dealer. Technically, he was a pharmacist. Tomato, tomato. Right? My dad's blood pressure never rose above normal. But I remember surfing one day with my dad and my youngest brother. My youngest brother couldn't have been more than seven. He was on the inside on a bodyboard having fun. We were sitting out back surfing. And a guy caught a long wave inside. And I noticed my dad kind of watching him. And this guy headed towards my little brother and then made a big show of how my brother got in his way. Sprayed his board at him, kicked his board out, hooted and hollered. I thought my dad was going to come unglued. Here's a little piece of advice for you brothers. It's not the loud guys you need to be scared of. It's the guys who stay quiet when they get upset. But my dad very purposely paddled right over to this guy and said three words. That's my son. Whoo! 
He went on to say, if you have any further problems, you can speak to me, but that is my boy. My dad was speaking ownership, protection, and supervision over my little brother. That's my son. Did you know that that is what the Father in heaven speaks over you and over me? Did you know that that's exactly his heart as his eyes are on you? That's my boy. That is who you are. Look at what the scripture says about God's heart towards us. Isaiah 41, or 43 rather, in chapter one. It says, do not fear. Why? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. That you're mine. Look at that identity. I called you by name, individually. And you're mine. That's who you belong to. John 1.12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, what happened? He gave them the right to become children of God, the right, the privilege, the identity of being called God's own children. The, the children of greatness always introduce themselves as such, right? I'm pretty sure the first thing out of the prince's mouth is, hey, what's up, I'm Dusty, my dad's the king, you know? right? Whether he's using it to get out of trouble, right? Or just to impress people. They know that that's their greatest identity. Did you know that you are a son of the King, the eternal living God? That's true of you as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.5 says that he, God the Father, predestined us, you and I, for adoption into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. That is the story of salvation, brothers. God expanding his family through adoption, bringing that which was on the outside into the very center of his family and his will. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you and I are a chosen people. Are you guys hearing all the intentionality in this? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Chosen, royal, special possession. That is who you truly, truly are. And you know what that means? It means there's some things that you're not. For better or worse, you are not the letters that follow your name. You are not your title or the degrees that have been conferred upon you. For some in a high position, that might hurt the pride a little bit. For some in a low position, that might lift you up. But it's true of both of you. That is not the truest thing about you. For better or worse, you're not the content of your bank account. You're not your desires, the godly or the ungodly desires that you and I possess. You know, our culture right now is so hell-bent on convincing children that they are nothing more than their sexual desires and sexual identity when that's not true even of healthy God-honoring sexual desires. We are more than that. We are God's children, holy and dearly loved as we've just been reading about. You're not the house you live in the car you drive, or the people that you run with. You are God's son. If it seems as though I'm hammering this over and over, it's because you and I will never live beyond our identity as God's men. And so we need to get this right. It's the building block of everything else that God wants to do in us and through us. And nothing else will fall into place in our lives if we don't get this right. This is my son. What else did the father say? whom I love, whom I love. This conveyed Christ's worth, how deeply the Father loved and valued the Son. Did you know that God loves you 
Now, you might gloss over that and think, of course God loves me. John 3.16, for God so loves the entire world. In his infinite capacity and his perfect love, God doesn't just love all of us. He loves each of us. It's an incredibly boundless love that we can't even understand because we only have a human capacity to love. That every single day, God the Father sits in anticipation and expectation that his boys would come and sit with him and be with him. He loved us before we loved him. This isn't a, a, a love that he returned to us. This is a love that came in when you and I were shaking our fists at him. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, while our fists were raising, shouting, crucify this guy, get him out of my life. He offered his life for us. Such is the nature of God's love for you and I. The word paints a beautiful picture of the love of our great God. Here's just a couple places to encourage you. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39 says that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Say nothing. Nothing. Nothing is not my heart, my doubts, my fears, my sin. Nothing. His love perseveres, pursues, tracks us down, pulls us in. Zephaniah 3.17 says this that God the Father rejoices over you with gladness, that he will quiet you with his love and exalt over you with loud singing. Can you imagine the God of the universe covering you with his love, rejoicing over you? It's true. It's true. It's truer than anything else about us. This is my son whom I love. What was the last thing he said? With whom I'm well pleased which conveyed the father's heart, his disposition towards his son. This was his, his attitude. If his emotion towards the son was love, then his attitude towards the son was one of pleasure. Did you know that God is pleased with you? That in Jesus Christ, covered by his blood, that that becomes the position of the father's heart towards us, fully pleased with us. Remember, this was before Jesus had done anything to earn the Father's love or pleasure. God was pleased with him because he was his son. Now, I told you guys in the beginning, God has gifted me with four incredible children. When my kids were born, I fell madly, uncontrollably, irresponsibly in love with them. I still love them that way. Every time I see them, I throw my arms around them. My boys are now grown men, and I still kiss them every time I see them because I just love my kids. I love them before they could do anything to reciprocate or earn my love. At the time that they were born, they were capable of maybe three things, right? Eating, pooping, crying. That's it. This is before they could smile, roll over, walk, or do anything, yet I was so pleased with them because they were mine. The same is true of the Father's heart for you and me. He loves us because we're His. Praise God that He loves us based on who He is and not based on who we are. As fallen humans, we extend love insofar as the person is worthy of love. Now, as God is creating in us a new heart that loves like He does, we start to love out of the overflow of His love. But God's perfect love towards us has nothing to do with our performance or even our receptivity towards it. He loves based on who he is. 
Guys, all of that so far is just to remind us that without the proper identity, without the proper mindset about who we are in God, we will never be able to move out and do the things that he's calling us to. But once we begin to settle the identity picture, right, who I am, I need to look to what I identify with. And this is really answering the question that's going to give meaning and direction of our lives, which is what am I about, right? What, what am I going to do now? Most of us, I think, would say that we identify as Christians. But sometimes I wonder if, if we're as confused as our culture is when they say they identify as something. Let me explain, okay? We now live in a time and an age where you and I can simply choose to identify as something and then we're that thing. We become that thing immediately. We no longer live in a truth-based reality, but rather everyone is living out their own individual false truths. We think now that we simply are what we believe ourselves to be. Fantasy is reality. All we got to do is believe we're something and then we're that thing. What I said is, brothers, do we do the same thing with our faith? Do we simply identify as being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and then think that we are? Time out. Huge disclaimer. I am not talking about salvation. Please don't get this confused. I am not in any way hinting towards any type of earning our faith. Scripture is too clear about this. We are saved by grace through faith, period, full stop. Our complete forgiveness, restoration, salvation was achieved by Jesus Christ on the cross, period. What I'm talking about is what happens next. Because we weren't just saved from something, from sin and death. We were saved towards something. The life of a disciple following transformation. But don't get those two things confused. I'm not saying that we must do these things in order to be saved. How about we've been saved and freed to do these things? Saved towards transformation. Not to gain our salvation again, but because we already have it. Now moving out to be used by God. We desire to follow the one who gave himself for us. But you and I can't identify as Christians and then just stay where we are, physically or spiritually. That's the thing about following Jesus. I have to follow. What if I told you right now that I'm out on a run? You'd think, this guy's off his rocker, maybe, but he's certainly not on a run. He's sitting on a chair. Yet, I'm afraid that we might be doing that same thing. Believing that we're moving without moving. I can't just think of myself or identify also with the things that the Spirit wants to create in me over a lifetime and then think that I've achieved those things or think that He's done those things in me, for example. I can't just think that I'm a patient person. I have to display patience. I can't just identify as being generous. I must do generous things. I can't just identify as being a follower of Jesus and choose not to follow him. One of my life verses for this reason is Micah 6.8. Read this with me. Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Say act, say love, say walk. Act, love, walk. He laid it out for us. He showed us what he wants. He wants you and I to act justly, not just like the idea of justice, not just post about it on social media, but to bring justice into the spaces and places he's placed us to act with justice, to love mercy. This is a great one because we're getting both the head and the heart. I want you to offer mercy. Isn't it interesting how we always want justice and judgment for you and grace and mercy for me. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I always want the bad guy to get it, but I always want the Lord to give me his mercy, his grace. But you and I are called to love mercy, to not only offer it, but to have a heart that desires to offer it. And called, lastly, to walk humbly. In a culture that elevates the individual, that loves the self-made man, the self-made woman, the person who did it on their own, like Sinatra said, who did it, my way. This is the person we elevate. We love the MVP. We love the guy who should be showered with praises. And God is saying, walk humbly. Walk humbly. Fight against that desire in your heart to receive praise and be a person who offers it to the only one who's worthy. Walk humbly. God is showing us how to do everything. Then here's, here's the ticket, boys. Then he's assuming that we're going to do it. He's showing us things, and then he's got an expectation that he's going to see that in the hearts and lives of his men. The Christian life is one of action, but not a life only of action. You and I need to keep a close eye on our hearts, right? Just like the scripture warns us, because our enemy is crafty, and if he can't pull you and I into outright sin, he's going to try to derail us on our discipleship to Jesus. All right, man, I'm assuming that a few of you played football. I'm praying that some of you did, okay? Any offensive linemen out there, huh? Big boys, I'm talking to you. That was me. No, it wasn't, right? As Coach Curry said, I was a slim-hipped gazelle. I was a wide receiver. But even us tenderfoots had to block sometimes. And I remember one of the lessons the coaches gave us, right, is... Irregardless of the read, irregardless of the play, right? Even if I'm supposed to kick the guy outside, if the guy's hell-bent on going inside, coach just said, just take him further than he wants to go. Take him so far inside that he can no longer affect the play. This is a place that the enemy is going to try to attack you and try to attack me as we pursue the rhythms of both being and doing, the rhythms of our, our head and our heart and our hands and our feet, and the enemy is going to try to find the way that we naturally lean hardest and push us all the way out of the play, completely ignoring the other half of God's call on our lives. Let's look at it like this, brothers. If we're talking about the discipleship and the rhythm of being and doing, right? Being, being the things that go into us, right? The heart attitudes, the, the truth in our minds, then that starts to look like spending our time studying God's word. And that's a great thing. And then we attend every men's Bible study and every conference that we can, and we consume podcasts and we digest books and we listen to different speakers and we talk to different friends and our minds and our lives keep getting filled with more and more and more of God's truth. And it's awesome, but there's no expression. Guys, 
If all of our life is intake, 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 and no output, 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 things go bad real quick. We become like the guy who sits at home eating all day long and never going out to use the energy he just filled his body with. Or another way to look at it is sitting at home and reading a book about exercise, but never walking outside and putting it to practice. Here's a difficult truth for you and I today. Being without doing leads to apathy. Being without doing leads to apathy. I become a Christian whose head is full of knowledge, but whose arms become so atrophied they can never help anybody. I had the opportunity recently to visit the Dead Sea on a tour of Israel uh, with one of my good friends, Todd Moorhead, uh, and his ministry, Grafted Ministries. Incredible opportunity. The Dead Sea is a trip, right? It's so salty, it feels like you're laying in a pool of acid. You float, and I don't just mean like you're buoyant, I mean like you're laying on top of the water. It's a trip, but not one thing lives in the Dead Sea. You wanna know why? Because the Dead Sea has no outlets. The Dead Sea only receives. It's literally dying because it just takes. Whoo! <laughs> the same is true of our faith, brothers. The faith that is just receiving, receiving, receiving with no outlet is dead. Guys, with nowhere for the fruits of the Spirit, for God's truth to be expressed, released into this world, it's dead faith. Look at what our brother James said in James 2.17. Faith without works is dead. Often misconstrued passage. He is not saying that, so if you have works, then you have faith. What he's saying is, real faith is going to make you want to do something about it. He's saying that our hearts and our minds are going to be transformed as we encounter Jesus in his word. And then we look for opportunities to one another, one another. Isn't it interesting? All the things that the Bible calls me to do, it's a little challenging to do those things by myself. You know, confess my sins to one another, pray for one another, bear with one another. I need another. I need to move out, right? The cross of Christ is vertical and horizontal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We were designed to intake and then express the things that God is doing in our hearts. There's no such thing, boys, as a clear vision of the bloody Savior and a lazy Christian. It just can't be. God's man cannot sit at the foot of the cross and see that sacrifice and not be moved to do something, to follow after him, to learn more about him, and then to make him known to other people. The kingdom doesn't have a need or a place for Christians who want to sit around, intake, and just get fat spiritually. Matthew eleven twelve 12 reminds us exactly why. Kenny shares this verse with me all the time as an encouragement and a challenge. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing. Say forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Boys, we're in a battle. The kingdom is moving out in power and in truth. And the enemy is taking note and pushing back. John Stuart Mill put it like this, the only thing necessary for evil men to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Is that not close enough to home? How about this 2022 version of that 
in our battle against the enemy. All the enemy needs to do is encourage Christians to move out of their state, surround themselves with other Christians, build bomb shelters, and hunker down. In order for the enemy to overcome, all he needs to do is convince men to sit back and fire off angry political darts on social media. If the enemy needs to stop the kingdom, all he needs to do is convince men that the sexually explicit shows that they're so interested in are fine and not affecting their faith. That the amount that they drink every day is not impacting those around them. That missing church is fine because our hobbies take time. We deserve it. And the traveling sports teams of our kiddos are very important if they're ever going to go pro. Am I getting too real with myself, with my brothers? Guys, we cannot believe the lie that as long as the good book is going into me at regular intervals and on podcasts as I'm running, it really doesn't matter how I live that out, right? I can't fill my mind without living it out. True faith wants to express itself. So if being without doing leads to apathy, what about if I fall off the other direction? Like we said, right? A good and effective block is just taking a guy, whichever direction he's inclined to go, just taking him too far. What if it's not an emphasis on being in my life that comes really naturally? What if it's the doing? As men, what if that's what resonates with me so much that the enemy is just behind me, pushing me towards doing, doing, doing to the exclusion of my intake? What does that look like? Looks like this. It becomes a life of action without introspection. A life with no inspiration from God's word. No accountability, no transparency. It becomes do, do, do. And don't ever worry about the B, B, B. It becomes an obsession, right? Usually with either service or righteous living, which neither of those are bad things in and of themselves. But the problem is, it usually becomes dependent upon human effort. It becomes dependent on the things that I'm going to do for God, the sin that I'm going to kick out of my life. And this is what happens, guys. Doing without being leads to legalism. Without a place and a rhythm and a time and a space for the Holy Spirit to lead you and I into truth, to encourage and correct and train us in righteousness, by the way, those are all things that this book will do when applied to your and my life. You and I will just have actions without God's heart behind them. At best, we'll become Pharisees. At worst, we'll become uh, washed around by the half-truths of our, of our culture. It becomes hands that serve Christ with hearts that are potentially falling away from Him. And we end up giving ourselves to whatever the latest call for action is. Right? Whatever the latest outrage, whatever the latest political cry is, and we lead scrambled lives marked by frantic energy without true spiritual direction. When it's a life of all doing and no being, we just fall off the rails the other way. Sometimes it even makes us angry people because we start to see the inactivity right, or the lack of obsession with action in those around us as an affront to the gospel. How could you not want to do all the things that I do? We become judgmental, legalistic, and negative. So what do we do? <laughs> right? Looking down the barrel of that, what do we do? How do you and I live out this tension between being and doing, between consuming and then giving away? As God's men, 
How do we live? How do we live in this push and pull of being and doing? Brothers, we have to pursue a new kind of discipleship. The kind that Jesus intended for his boys. The discipleship of being and doing. Not one or the other, but both and. Inseparable one from the other. To be men who were so transformed by the time that we spend with Jesus Christ that we can't help but go out and act like him. Guys, because if you and I want the life that Jesus offers, then we got to be willing to go after the lifestyle that he led. Am I right? As such, guys, if you and I start to focus on being and doing, we become disciples. We become apprentices. We truly start following after Jesus, recognizing that it's a marriage of the head and the heart. I love that the early followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. Because it truly was a way of living, a manner of life that informed how they thought and how they acted. Right? Their apprenticeship to Jesus leaked into all areas of their life. It's why the Shema prayer in Deuteronomy is one of the most beautiful encouragements to me as a dad. Because it doesn't say, place Jesus in a box that gets opened on Sunday mornings or at certain times with your family. It says, no, talk about these things as you walk along the road and as you lie down. Guys, that our lives would be so filled with Jesus that it's not Jesus on Sunday and the rest of my life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's Jesus at work. It's Jesus in the office. It's Jesus out in the ocean. It's Jesus everywhere as I follow him with both my hands and my heart. Guys, our, our very first point was that everything we do flows out of who we are, right? Our identity as God's men. That it all begins with our identity as Christ's Sons, right? As the sons of the king, right? Brought into fellowship through the sacrifice of Jesus. Christ sent out in his power to build his kingdom for his glory. Do you notice the key word there? His. <laughs> he becomes the defining truth in our life. Everything in our lives is because of and for and to and by the power of Jesus Christ. One of my life verses, Philippians 2.13. It reminds us of this truth. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that encouraging? That both the desire and the power to please God come from God. Jesus is going to provide you with exactly what you need for your being and for your doing. For your hands and for your head and for your heart. As you follow after him, remember God's man because our doing flows out of our being, right? It's just the natural response to our being. He is at work in us, giving us our marching orders and then giving us the power to fulfill those marching orders. Once we see Jesus as he truly is, guys, we got to choose to just be with him. Often, we must spend time with him to know him deeply, to connect with him daily, there are a few verses that scare the crap out of me. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, is one of these passages of scriptures. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
There is so much going on in this passage, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not even the people with good theology who know who I am, not even they will enter the kingdom. So those listening might've thought, okay, so what's the ticket? But the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. They probably threw their heads back and smiled and said, so it is about the doing. Perfect. Jesus, check out my spiritual resume. Prophecy, casting out demons, many mighty works. So where's my seat? Where do I get in? And Jesus goes, I didn't know you. We weren't, we weren't close. It was an intimate knowledge of Jesus that separated the real from the pretenders. Guys, it's all those things. It's the right theology, right? God sees the desires of those who worship him in spirit and in truth, right? It's, it's understanding who he really is. It's doing the will of God, but it's also knowing him. The problem with our culture is we want everything fast and easy. We listen to podcasts on double speed just so we can listen to more podcasts, but there's no shortcut to knowing Jesus. Guys, our being begins by prioritizing time with Jesus Christ every single day. Every day. Because we know that we will never be who he created us to be apart from him. He's our source. He's our power. He's our direction. He's our truth. Or something else will try to fill those gaps. Guys, we need more of him and less human knowledge. I was at a bookstore the other day. Yes, these places still exist. Bookstores with the pages and everything. The, the section on self-transformation was unbelievably large and unbelievably useless. We don't need more human knowledge. We don't need more human opinion or human effort. I need the Lord who works in me, giving me the desire and the ability to do the things that please him. Right? Scripture says that that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, but we need to keep coming back. Just like the woman at the well who thought that she could fill herself up with water and Jesus said, if you came to me, I'd give you water that would create a wellspring up inside of you. Guys, if we look for our truth or our energy or our directive somewhere else, we're always gonna come up empty. But every day that we spend at the foot of Jesus is always time well spent. And I'm not talking about some app for 10 seconds in between meetings. Guys, we need to be with him so much that we start to look like him. Check this out. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The religious council uh, was checking out a few of Jesus' boys, right? And they said this about them. They realized that they, Peter and John, were unschooled and ordinary men but they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. It was the time that they spent with Jesus that made them astonishing. And it wasn't a shortcut. And it wasn't a couple minutes here and a couple minutes there. It took time, but it changed them. It was so remarkable and so unmistakable that these unschooled and ordinary men became astonishing and people took note, not of who they were, but of who Jesus was. Guys, if there's anything we desire in our lives, it's that people would look at us and give glory to the Father. That people would look at us and say, what does he have? I want some of that, right? It's that, that they would see Jesus in us in a way that doesn't draw them to praise us, but to praise our Father in heaven. Guys, once we've established our identity in Christ, 
and we start coming to him every single day, he will become the source of our truth, our power, and our direction. He'll guide our passions. He'll guide us into his perfect purposes. He will release us into an adventure like no other to be used to build the eternal kingdom of the living God. Now you tell me what's a better use of your time because I can't think of any. But I'm going to pause because there's a hard truth by limited beings with limited time and limited resources. And that's this, boys. If we want to be with Jesus every day, we got to give some things up. We got to give some things up. We might have to give many things up in order to put Jesus on the throne of our lives. We might have to take a step back in our hobbies. We might have to take a step back at work. We might even have to spend some time apart from our families to sit at the foot of the Savior, to be filled up with His wisdom and His power and His truth. It's just a simple time reality. That being with Jesus every day is going to cost you and I something. To say yes to Jesus is to say no to those things that we're filling our time. Guys, the biggest lie in our culture, one of the biggest lies in our culture, is that we can be number one at everything. Is that we can be the best dad, the best husband, the best guy, sales guy in the office, the best surfer out at Lowers, the best, I got the perfect manicured lawn, I can go on the best vacations, I can be the best friend, I can be the best son, I can blah, 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 blah. There's just not enough time. You don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And our God is not okay being the top of a list of many passions. Did God give us great things like our family and our jobs and the ocean and the mountains and the things that you're passionate about? Absolutely. But when God was calling out his own people, right? In the book of Exodus, when he's telling his people, this is how you're going to relate to me. When he told them in the 10 commandments, you'll have no other gods before me. He wasn't saying, so as long as you make a list of priorities, I got to be number one and then I'm okay. Wrong interpretation of the word before me, brothers. He was not saying above me. He was saying before as in, in my presence. Like the man stood before the courtroom. He's saying, I'm not okay being on a list of passions in your life. I'm God Almighty. And yet we tell him to wait his turn in the waiting room of our hearts like some arrogant physician. Every day you and I make value decisions about where we will spend our time and what the most important things in our life will be for that day. You know, the scripture tells a story of Mary and Martha And how Martha was concerned with many things. Some translations say that she was anxious and troubled. Isn't that true of all of us? Aren't we anxious and troubled about lots of stuff going on in our life right now? If I said to hit pause and to write down the things that you're anxious about or troubled about, it wouldn't be a short list. Life is not easy. But he reminds her, Jesus says lovingly in Luke 10, one thing is needed. One thing. Now, how do you and I begin to wrap our lives around that truth? There's not many things that are needed. We are going to experience many things, but one of them is needed. You want to know what's most valuable to you and me? Look at your bank statements and look at your calendar. Ah, 
You know, at the end of the year, you think your financial situation is one thing, and then the reality train hits you when you sit down with your accountant. Or now they have the screen time on the phones, and when I talk to my kids, it seems like you've been on your phones a lot. No, I haven't. Well, let's just see. Actually, it's been a trillion hours, right? When we're faced with reality of how we've been spending our time and our money, it reveals our hearts and our passions. You and I have to make intentional and daily decisions. And here's the reality, guys. If you and I begin our day with Jesus, we will be the best husbands, the best dads, the best employees, the best employers, the best leaders, the best friends, the best community members. If we pursue Jesus, we get all those other things. He will use us mightily to transform this planet for his glory. But if we pursue those other things, we win none of it. We win none of it. We go out in our own effort after our own agendas and it amounts to nothing. But remember, he's at work in us. So guys, here's the question. Will you and I become the type of men who balance that rhythm, that tension of being and doing? Who recognize who Jesus is and then who we are in him and then allow him to give us our identity and just be free from pursuing all the things in this world that want to tell us who we are? Will we be men who are so full of the desire for Jesus that we go and sit at his feet every single day before we've done anything? Here's the challenge. Tomorrow morning, before you pick up your phone, pick up God's word. As a physical act of sacrifice, even saying out loud if you have to, Jesus, I pick you over the work that I have today, the emails I have to return, the texts I have to do, the fun things I'm going to go do, the challenging things I'm going to go do. You're Lord of it all. And boys, will we become men who are so filled up with God's truth and God's power that we cannot help but go out and offer that to the people around us. To be moved, like Kenny says, with dangerous goodness in the spaces and places he's put us. Will the people who meet you and I be astounded <laughs> at how knuckleheady we are, but how our time with Jesus has so transformed us. Let's live in this beautiful tension of being and doing by stepping faithfully into both of them and allow our doing to grow supernaturally out of our being. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it is such an encouragement to know that you are at work in our hearts giving us the desire and the ability to do what pleases you. Remind us, Lord, as your word says, that apart from you, we can do nothing. But in you, Jesus Christ, we can do all things. Remind us of that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to prioritize being with you every day. I pray that you would drill the truth that we are your sons, fully loved, that you are pleased with us, Lord, that that would allow us to stop chasing our identity in things or relationships or achievements. God, I just pray that we would be so transformed by the time that we spend with you that we can't help ourselves but move out in sacrificial love and service, racing to the bottom. Lord, you said to your boys, whoever wants to be great, it happens like this. You weren't against greatness. You were against the world's version of greatness. You said, boys, if you want to be great, this is what it looks like, God. Make us men who want to be great according to your standards. Show us that the way up is down. And God, may you use our lives powerfully to build your kingdom. We ask these things in the worthy name of Jesus.
Amen. I'll see you next time.